monumental. I think my most insane story is I, I'm on a conference call with like this medical group in New York that's conferenced in, I kid you not, the princess of Malaysia, like the king's daughter is on the call because we're all trying to broker a six billion unit nitrile glove deal to like the Department of Defense. And like, I don't like, I'm sitting in like my boxers on the terrace in Puerto Rico. Money must be funny in a rich lad's world. Money must be lovely in a poor lad's world. And we're back after an incredible opening jingle that took us a long time to script, produce, and that intro video <laughs> that, I, that I pieced together. Thank you for joining us again. This is the Rich Lad, Poor Lad Show. My name's Oliver. I'm Leart. Thanks again for joining us. And yeah, thanks, Ollie, for the hard work putting together that HBO quality uh, introductory video. Hey, only the best for Rich Lad, Poor Lad. Only the best. So yeah, That's a Rich Lad intro for sure. What are we? Uh, what are we going to talk about today? Um, as discussed, we're going to share some stories about our experience during the pandemic, living in Puerto Rico, and the lead up to Nutcase, our business, kind of having this explosive growth during the pandemic, especially in 2020, and how you know we were really, you know, I kind of just to kind of dive right into it, 2020. Lifetime to date was the most significant year of my life and I assume also Leo's life. And, you know, the reason for that was really because that's true, actually. Yeah, a lot of people's lives. But I think, yeah, to your point, I think it's probably both an interesting story to tell and I think a good learning experience to look at kind of where we were with that business pre-COVID how COVID changed our business. And I think in all honesty, it changed our lives, uh, you know, with the kind of implications on the market we sell into and the growth that our business saw from it. But I'll let you get back to it. You're kind of giving background about where we were just before COVID. Yeah, I mean, I think just before COVID, you know, you and I were traveling around the United States, January, February, 2020. We were going to trade shows. We were, you know, really hustling hard. It was really just the two of us. We, we were the sales team. We were the operations team. We were, you know, the design team, you know, obviously with Ross, my dad, who's working from Italy, but it was really just Leo and I kind of doing it all. And, um, you know, the story goes, we were in Connecticut helping our aunt Carol move houses. She was switching homes and lockdowns were on the books. We started hearing about this happening around the country, you know, in Europe and in Asia. And we were just like, let's not get stuck in Connecticut. Nothing against Connecticut, but we, we're warm blooded. You know, we like being in like warm weather. We were kind of like, how do we find a place that is a little bit more warm and beautiful to like hang out in during the winter? And so, What's the story? We, we, didn't we look at the Dominican or where, where were we looking originally? We were driving, if I remember correctly, we'd done a trade show in like Indiana or Ohio, 
or some sort of area and we were driving and just looking at Google flights, we knew we weren't going to be in Connecticut. So where we could fly to for New York on the cheap. Right. And we saw that Delta had $35 tickets from New York to San Juan, Puerto Rico. And so we said, well, it's you know, part of the U S we've never been the Caribbean sounds fun. Let's have a look at Airbnbs. Then if I remember correctly, we we're in my aunt's house on her television with a computer connected, mm-hmm. looking at potential Airbnbs. And we saw this wonderful view of a balcony right overlooking a beach and got immediately sold as this was a must play, must visit place for us to go to. We initially booked the Airbnb for a couple of weeks. We didn't even really look at where it was on the island. It turned out to be pr- pretty remote, about an hour and a half remote, west yeah. of the main city in a town called Kamui. But, uh, you know, we booked it for a month, sight unseen. And, yeah, took a one-way ticket to Puerto Rico. Yeah, we rented booked- a car for a month. And, uh, that's, yeah, that's how it went. Of... We, we escaped down to Puerto Rico. We got a killer deal on flights. We rented the place for, I mean, I think it was originally even like a two-week. We were thinking of just doing like a two-week trial to right. see how it worked. And then lockdown hit, and we got stuck forcefully in the Caribbean for seven months living in Puerto Rico. Right. And um, that was kind of the beginning of this adventure that we went on. I mean – there were a, there were a lot of a lot of strange uh, experiences over in Puerto Rico, uh, but they were awesome. I mean, the whole experience was was life changing. Um, I mean, for you, Leo, what was it about the experience that really left an impression? You know, uh, on your life living down in Puerto Rico, despite meeting your uh, your girlfriend down there. But what was it from? On a personal well, level, what was that it about de- moving to Puerto Rico? That was definitely going to be, of course, my first answer. I was meeting my wonderful girlfriend there. But I think for me, it was a pretty rapid change in my lifestyle. I'd been living in a small uh, four-person apartment in Rome, Italy, crowded and you know, kind of in the heart of Rome, which is a pretty bustling, busy city. And having an environment where I was working from a balcony overlooking a private beach was pretty transformative because it made me really realize that where I was and where I worked from was really important to me. And it was kind of something that I wanted to become a non-negotiable that I had to feel really happy wherever I lived. And in the past, I kind of ignored it. I had a place I didn't really want to go home to in the evenings and it made me stay in the office till super late and, you know, wasn't a particularly fun place to be. And so having the environment where we finish work and go have a beer sitting on the beach or, you know, take a walk around the little property we had and, you know, find coconuts on the ground and everything else was, yeah, really, really wonderful for me. And I think we were in a, obviously a really weird time for pretty much everyone with lockdowns across the board and whatnot. And just having space, which I know a lot of people at the time didn't have, was really a blessing because it also made me aware that I don't really want to live in a cramped spot. Even now I live in an apartment, but it was really important to have a balcony and some amount of access to just having a bit of a view and just being in a really pleasant place was, um, yeah, definitely kind of changed my perspective on a lot of things. How about you? Yeah, no, that resonates with me as well, for sure. Um, you know, just to provide context to, to the audience, you know, we weren't, 
bawling out in some like Pablo Escobar villa. We 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 had a really nice setup, but it was like a thousand dollars a month rent, top floor of this little villa on the beach. Um, we'll try and throw up a couple photos later in post production. But um, how? Yeah, how it was walk? it was it was a very uh, it was a very uh, humble little villa that had definitely a lot of leakage and power outages and. You know, we lost the three MacBooks over the pandemic while we were there. May they rest in peace. Yeah, uh, power outages. Yeah, fried our batteries. I mean, we were probably the best customer of the local Apple store there that summer in San Juan. Um, the little reseller that was fixing fixing our devices every other week. Um, but yeah, personally, I think the biggest uh, had the biggest. I, I'd say on a personal level, the the realization that I had was how happy I could be with so little and, you know, never, you know, uh, for the past, you know, all the years leading up to the pandemic in 2020, you know, I lived in San Francisco, I lived in Los Angeles, I lived in Miami, I lived in Rome, I lived in all these cities that exposed me to so much material wealth and so much, so many just things that people that we think we need to have ranging right. from the clothes to the car to the to the watches to the to the uh the dinners the the, the clubs the drinks the the girls you know just everything and i think when we moved to puerto rico there was this um and, and specifically to this remote village town in the middle of nowhere on the island and everything was just stripped away and we were literally wearing i mean we can just say it. I, I, we had we we luckily went to Marshalls just by happen chance the day before we flew out from Connecticut, right. and and we picked up like one pair of shorts each, being like, oh yeah, no problem. We'll definitely pick up some more shorts in Puerto Rico, and uh, we I had one pair of gray sweatpants shorts. You had another pair. I think I, I mean they started off looking red, but they were like you know pink by the time you left because we wore them every single day. We show up to freaking yeah. Puerto Rico and we go into the first Walmart and a COVID protocol on the island was right. there was no non-essential purchasing, which included all clothing. You could not buy, you could not buy a bathing suit and a pair of shorts in Puerto Rico for like seven, at least five. It was at least five months before we were able to like upgrade our wardrobe. So back to back to what I was saying, we, um, you know, just everything being stripped away. I mean, we were living like like monastic people. I mean, it was literally the same white t-shirts, the same shorts every single day for months. We were eating beans, rice, and eggs and burnt barbecue. Right due to Leo's Chicken. cooking every single Not day impossible. for six months. And we had nothing, just ourselves, the internet, thank God. We had this beach, yeah. we had nature, and we had nothing else. And so for me, it was just like, I experienced a level of simplicity and happiness on so little. It's like my entire like, I'm not a scientist, you know, my whole like dopamine baseline just got completely, I'm trying to quote Andrew Huberman or something, you know, kind of just got recalibrated. And I realized I needed so little to be happy. And 
you know, and I'll just finish with, I think, you know, the peak of our weekly happiness and like excitement was going to McDonald's on our Tuesday shopping run when we were allowed to leave the house, the compound. We went to McDonald's right. and we went to the grocery store and, and that was just like this spike of like excitement, adrenaline and dopamine that we, we would hit, that would hit us. But yeah, I mean, I think that was probably the biggest, just to be direct, the, the biggest takeaway was just how I, I proved to myself, I don't need much to be happy. I don't need a lot of the things I thought I needed. And, and that was really profound. Yeah, and when you have a reduction in choices, it does make you appreciate the little stuff a lot more. Like when we could eat anywhere mm -hmm. around, it was every restaurant later on in the trip. It wasn't the yeah. same as, you know, one day a week with, that was balanced by our car license plate final number was the day we could go to a grocery right. store. And the one place in the town that was open was a McDonald's drive through that has never tasted and never will taste as good as having, you know, a, a McChicken or whatever it was. But <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely stuck with me. And it's kind of turned my life into, you know, everyone's got their budget, they have the money that come in and where they want to spend it and where they want to allocate it. And it's made me realize that, you know, some of the stuff I've bought in the past is far less important to me. Just talking about the clothes, like still, we, you know, we're not really dropping. Didn't you just buy a Louis Vuitton shirt? Yes. I did. I did. <laughs> 90% off. Massive call out. No, no, no. But this is my exact point, right? I had one shirt. I wanted to buy something from a premium brand because I've never done that before. I waited. I've known my contact, who will remain nameless for the purposes of this, to basically was able to provide a 90% discount on the product. I waited for 10 years before I was able to buy something. I spent $150, right? Which is the most I've ever spent on a shirt, right? Wow. And I got a Louis Vuitton thing. That is it true. Gave me a huge amount of I can assure you, as his cousin and having spent a lot of time with him, that is a fact. You've, def you've definitely never spent more on a shirt than that. But, but this is my point. If it, it was so special, so awaited, it was shipped to me, it was so enjoyable to purchase, where I, I'm certain. The people that oh, shop really? in this okay. sort of store with any sort of regularity have far less enjoyment from their purchases than I got for this one. And I know if I was buying stuff from there every week, it would not feel the same. It was like the McDonald's that we could have once a week because it was the only option. This was the only thing. Looked forward to it. And it was, you know, a huge gratification to get in the end. But my, my point more so talking about, and we can then talk to kind of how business changed, is that it made me aware that I wanted to put more money into living in a place that I really enjoy and feel comfortable being in. And being in a nice place, a nice apartment was far more important to me than having expensive clothing or expensive, you know, car or things like that. And that was kind of like one of my non-negotiables. And that's a big yeah. part of why I know we talked about last episode, but... I really liked being a kind of digital nomad for a while because in you know other countries it was slightly better value for money to stay at really nice places with nice views that were you know far less than when i was in la and you know, staying yeah. in a dump and so that's kind of weighing on my mind and i think will remain on my mind the rest of my life that i want to be in places that i enjoy coming home to i i feel great waking up in the morning and that's important
Absolutely. Yeah, well said. I um, I think transitioning to kind of the business, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to shoot the most memorable moment, I think, that you and I had, at least, I mean, for me, was August 2020. We had decided to celebrate our million in sales in the month of August by renting this beautiful penthouse in San Juan. We oh, yeah. El San Juan. had a, you know, and we were there to celebrate because it was the first time. I mean, Leo and I, we, we were able to sell a million dollars worth of nutcases in a single month, which was the first time. And even just saying that out loud just gives me goosebumps because it's such an insane number. And it was just right. such a, a testament to the grind that we had been putting in literally day in and day out for several months now. Um, do you want to just tell the story of how kind of we, we kind of how, how things went right when you got to Puerto Rico from a business perspective? Because I, uh, I think we should take a step back that, you know, the business was a, was a case of accessories company, laptop sleeves, bags, iPad cases, right. things of that nature. We've been scaling the business since 17 with some amount of success, growing nicely each year, but still not achieving any sorts of major market penetration or share. Then come early 2020, March, lockdowns begin and schools immediately uh, pause all their purchases. And so our business started to dry up almost immediately. And, you know, the sort of steady 20% growth year on year that we've been looking at paused. So, and I think we'll probably put another episode into this, but we spent about a two, two and a half month period selling uh, PPE equipment. Selling is less of a word. It was more sort of a stopgap to kind of cover costs in the interim, unfortunately. Correct. You know, to challenge. I mean, I think is, the, the story of how the PPE thing happened is pretty radical. So in a nutshell, I'm in, a, I'm in WhatsApp groups with different entrepreneurs and I got a message that came through the group chat being like, and this is like on a, this is on a Monday, right? This is on a Monday. Monday message comes through the group chat. Hey, I'm looking for 40,000 uh, three-ply face masks for a um, project, for, 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 a comp- you know, for a hospital in Canada. Does anyone have any? And I'm just like, I, up until this moment, I never even thought about face masks. Literally, I never even thought about face masks. I'm like, hey, Leo, this is kind of crazy. This guy's looking for like 40,000 masks. Um, you know, okay, well, let's just ignore it. Then another message comes through. Oh, yeah, I'm looking for 50,000 masks in, you know, Oklahoma. I'm like, okay, well, there seems to be something here. So I'm like, hey, let's check this out real quick. We've talked to our uh, – we, we, we ping our messages – we ping a message to our suppliers in China that – we have a good relationship with and, um, right. you know, our sourcing agents over there. And we're like, Hey, you know, we're seeing a lot of demand for face masks. Do you guys have any? And they're like, yeah, we could do, you know, we could do, a, you know, we could get you some face masks. No problemo. We're like, Oh, cool. Um, so I go back to them like, Hey, yeah, we could probably work on this. So in a matter of, I think it was like, what, what ended up happening is we had a contact in China through, you know, the fact that us, we were man- we've been manufacturing there for 10 years now. So we have plenty of relationships over there with people we trust. And so we started like putting together a little product catalog. And 
I just said, you know what? Let's just send it out on Facebook. Let's send it out on Instagram, on LinkedIn. See what comes back. Within like 24 hours, we had like 200,000 units of demand for these face masks. And we were like, holy cow. This is is something real. And as Leo said earlier, case sales dropped off the cliff, right? And so we're a lean team. You know, cash flow is tight. You know, we was literally just us and a couple other team members in Italy at the time. We were like, well, how are we going to keep the lights on? Face masks could be the way to keep the lights on. Let's see if we can make a few sales. So within a week, we went from not even thinking about face masks to having a product line, to having the marketing made, and to like a sales team, you know, essentially providing and talking to customers about the opportunity. What are, what, I mean, do, is, that, is that how you remember it? Were there any other Yeah, and that the other story? thing was two of our contract manufacturers in China had actually started co-producing them because no one, it affected their business as well, the ability to make cases and bags and such. So we actually were very lucky that, because as people may or may not know, there was kind of rampant fraud, confusion, everything that kind of evolved after this truly enormous, almost overnight need for these sort of products. And we were very lucky that we had access to a relatively trusted source. Then the issue became that we started having people go, great, I'll take them. Great, we'll ship them out to you. Hey, FedEx, can you send, oh, oh, you're not sending flights. Okay. Oh, there's really no commercial flights going to and from China and Europe and the United States. Oh, well, how the heck do we actually ship and deliver these things? Which became kind of the next challenge in that adventure was freight became extortionately expensive. There was, you know, often commercial, you know, and you know, passenger flights carry freight and cargo and that keeps the cost down. So then we had to, we'd manufactured these things and had to deliver them. That was tough. Then the kind of rules and the guidance from CDC and other relevant entities would change. And so it went from needing a three ply mask to a N95 certified mask. What's your, what was your, what's your like most memorable, crazy story or scenario from it? Just to kind of. Oh, there were just, it was, our average order when we sold iPad cases and such was between 200 to 500 units, which is the typical sale value of between let's say four thousand to twelve thousand dollars, and really big deals would be a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, so three hundred thousand range. People were calling us about the most. Oh, Pizza Hut in the UK needs two million masks. Can you get them tomorrow? <laughs> what the Bolivia is required? I mean, just the amount of insane. It was insane. And it it went through a phase. You remember how every week, every week, it was a different category that kind of went in waves. There was the KN95s. Then there was the N95 Nios, right? No one wanted the KNs because they were potentially fraudulent. Then we went to the three plies. Then there were the gowns. Everyone wanted the gowns. After the gowns, everyone wanted the gloves. Oh my God. I mean, it was truly, it was insane. And like, look, just for the audience, we didn't get rich selling face masks. We did not make buckets of money in the slightest. We made enough to cover we our expenses. We made zero profits. We, we, we covered we operating zero. costs for two and a half months. We co- and we had Correct. an enormous we- amount of stress. 
because when you we had an enormous amount of stress, something it was, that it was crazy. Well, yeah, because it was a product that people associated correctly with, with their safety, and it was you know, thankfully we were mostly providing them to other resellers. We didn't have many opportunities that were true kind of frontline healthcare clients. It was more pharmacies were looking to help them to sell to consumers and those sort of opportunities. But even so, I mean, yep. if you're late with the Amazon order or a shipment, you know, people are unhappy. If you're late with something that people think, you know, is going to protect them and their loved ones, that's a whole nother level of intensity and kind of customer support and managing expectations and orders getting canceled and uncanceled and canceled again. And it was really completely. It was, it was mental. It was, it was truly mental. I think my most insane story is I am on a conference call with like this medical group in New York that's conferenced in, I kid you not, the princess of Malaysia, like the king's daughter is on the call because we're all trying to broker a 6 billion unit nitrile glove deal to like the Department of Defense. And like, I don't like, I'm sitting in like my boxers on the terrace in Puerto Rico. And I'm just like trying, you know, it's like, it was just one of the most insane situations. We did not close that deal. And the majority no. of all these big opportunities fell apart. And I mean, there was that one guy who's like, we've got the stock. I've got my brother. He's going to get in a truck. He'll run to U-Haul. You say go, oh, yeah. I've got my brother, I'll pay him five grand, he'll drive from California to New York today to make the delivery. Let me know, I will make it. I mean, it was just like, the stories were just insane. And, and you know, thankfully, like, you know, like we said, it shifted we were able to so break quick. Yeah. We, we didn't have to lay so anybody quick. off in the company either. Yeah. And, and that was a huge, you know, that was like, honestly, the real value of having been able to do the face masks during that time. But it was just a wild, uh, it was like the wild west and it was just insane. I mean, for, for yeah, it was just mental. But, and all the brokers, um, it became, we at least were working with our, you know, factory, basically selling them to potential, you know, buyer to sell our relatively basic transactions. Then shipping got more and more challenging that then it became a matter of people only wanted to buy product that was physically in the US or in the, within oh, the EU God. or the United Kingdom. And so it became a case of then bad actors emerged that claimed to have the stock and then didn't. So then the standard became to get some guy in a warehouse with like a piece of cardboard <laughs> that said the potential These, buyer's name. We have to, we're going to, we're going to throw up some cards. Yeah, we'll put a few clips. pictures we have to here do. as well the proof of life videos. You were like these hostage videos of like dudes and masks holding up the newspaper, showing the date on the newspaper and then panning out to the warehouse full of products and then having to like open them. I mean, it was mental. Um, but yeah, I digress yeah. from, uh, from the face masks that kind of like ended in end of may early june and then we just started getting like emails coming through being like do you have cases do you have cases do you have and we're like we thought everyone forgot about cases and then we're like oh yeah didn't you hear u.s government esser funding cares act um, funding. you know all this cares act funding 
everyone wanted every every single kid in America was getting a device, a laptop, a Chromebook, an iPad, literally anything to do remote learning because everyone realized schools were not going to be opening up again come September, August, and every kid needed to have a device to do remote learning. So here we are, we're like, okay, hold on a sec. <laughs> cases are like the, the sex. Cases became the sexiest product. You know, it was cases, headphones, webcams, document cameras, oh, any other? And devices. The other? Yeah, devices. And devices. Massive device shortage availability. So stuff started getting refurbed, stock with. And what was funny was the experience in the, the PPE game for that brief period of time actually gave us a little crash course into finding a product in incredibly high demand. So I think we were more ready to manage the wave of, because we started doing proof of life videos for our cases. We actually then kind of copied the idea (laughs) and started saying, Hey, um, because if a school is say using, you know, federal funding or statewide funding to get 2000 Chromebooks to their students, for remote learning, they really want a case on them because it's going to be an extended period of time since they see those devices again. And it really was important, the timing, that they got something as quickly as possible to put on a device and hand to a student so as little learning is interrupted as possible. And so, you know, they would say, I want to order a thousand units. We go, great, we have them in stock. They go, do you? We'd say, well, I mean, we're saying we do, but I guess let's call up our 3PL or our warehouse and have a guy so, saying, yeah. you know, hey, school district, here's your cases. They're ready to ship. Send us the order. It was nuts. And it was really nuts. Um, yeah, but I think just just honing out, I mean, 2020, it became a landslide of demand for our product category. And, like, it wasn't, you know, like – <laughs> The way the way I really see it is it was it was yeah like Leo said thanks to the preparation of seeing the uh, demand and face masks and kind of going you know working in the trenches there that definitely prepared us for it but you know reflecting on that experience I also feel like if COVID had happened in 2015 or 16 or 17 or 18 we wouldn't have been mature enough or prepared enough as entrepreneurs and as business partners to handle that level of pressure, anxiety, fear, intensity, to actually like grab the bull by the horns and ride the thing to actually maximize the opportunity for the business. What do you think? Yeah, I think it definitely... You know, we spent a long time kind of getting the business, in particular the product line, in particular the infrastructure, just our, you know, tools, systems, accounting, everything else, that we were relatively well positioned to manage a really significant increase in demand. And I think from the PPE piece, that kind of taught us how to best communicate effectively what we had in stock, what we had available, clear terms on pricing and everything else. And if in 2018 or 2019, when we were still struggling to find really strong product market fit or struggling to really establish a strong indirect sales channel, so distributors and resellers that resell our goods, we would have been far less successful than we were a known brand at the time, not as known as we are now and 
definitely there's many brands far more than us. But we were definitely in a little bit the right spot, the right time, in particular with the fact that we were stateside when all the demand happened. And, you know, in Europe, they're only now seeing the kind of funding getting injected and actually available for purchase. You know, there's 99% device penetration in the United States in K-12. There's under 30% across Europe blended. That's crazy. So, you know, the fact that we were in that market, stock in that market, warehousing infrastructure in that market was really crucial because we weren't really like that in the previous years either. And I think... No, it's true. It's true. No, we were we were definitely, um, you know, in the right place at the right time. And we were prepared. Like, it was our moment. Like, we... I truly feel like, you know, at least as an entrepreneur looking at my career, you know, everything everything has happened for a reason in my in my career. And I've had a lot of failure. I've messed up a lot of things. I've had a lot of businesses go south, um, you know. And I think that just looking at the at the history of Nutcase, that slow, consistent grind, building year after year, little by little, preparing ourselves for you know for an opportunity to leverage, that's that's what we did, and that's what that's what allowed us to have the success that we experienced in, in 2020. Um, you know, I think uh, one of the craziest, you know, just talking, you know, a little tactically on, on the marketing side. That was when we really discovered the, the power of email marketing. And I think yep. one of my fondest memories was like, oh, we just got a cold email from some bro trying to sell us like data, like contact information for schools. And like we used to get this stuff all the time, but we'd always kind of just brush it off. And, you know, we're, our business is going to trade shows. We go to trade shows. That's how we generate leads. You know, that was like our mindset at the time. And, and we just got this email. And we're like, you know what? We're not going to trade shows anytime soon. Let's give it a shot. So we bought, I think, 10,000 emails from an email service, email list provider. We stuck them into MailChimp, even though you're not really supposed to be using MailChimp for cold email. We're like, screw it. Let's just try it anyway. And we sent it out. We sent an email out that was just kind of like a generic email, like, hey, this is not case. We're making cases. You know, if you want a free sample, click the link, fill out the form, let us know. And we had like a hundred people respond to that email, yeah, filling out the form. <laughs> We're like, where do we buy more of these emails? And so, like that became yeah. our marketing strategy and for that the was, entire summer. That was the output, or rather, the, the volume of inbound leads that we get from like three to four trade shows. And we don't have Correct. to fly, set up a booth, talk. We just clicked a button. Honestly, that was our mm. first ever really successful digital marketing. We'd kind of run the business a little more old school with in-person trade shows, putting calls in, stuff like that. And seeing kind of a digital investment pay off so quickly, it was kind of eye-opening to us. Also, just the engagement yeah. was really good. Even the people that didn't were interested, we had very low on subscribe rates. Because I think we tried to be pretty creative in our content and copy and right. sort of veer away from really generic product focused I mean, let's emails. be real. I think, and... I think the truth is, is that this was also the, the moment, right? I mean, we've seen a, at least over the right. past two years now, pretty steady decline in engagement from email because I think people are burnt out, right. at least in our category, from getting so many freaking emails. Um, but, you know, COVID, shortage of devices, shortage of cases, combined with a juicy email being like, we've got cases, 
I mean, it was like the pop. And, um, and that was one of the big levers that allowed us, you know, for those wondering, how did we, how did we actually grow our business? The way we grew our business in 2020 was really, um, you know, having a, a high demand product, obviously, having stock availability in a supply chain that could actually make the product, and then combining that with really consistent email marketing for like six months straight, and combined with our channel partners, which I think we could have a whole episode dedicated to channel, uh, to channel sure. partnerships and, 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 and how, we, how we work with the channel. But the channel essentially means we have these authorized resellers who are um, IT vendors. They sell all sorts of IT products and they have huge books of business, right? So, you know, instead of, you know, Nutcase trying to hire a team of 100 sales reps to grow our company, we can essentially kind of outsource our sales to these value-added resellers that do have, you know, tens to hundreds of sales reps that are all selling similar products into schools as well. And so once, the, once we started sending emails out to the channel and doing kind of email marketing, but to the sales reps in these resellers, and they have customers that need cases, and that's kind of how the, the snowball grew as well, as I, as I remember it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, this definitely, it's given us a few of the topics to really dive into for future episodes as well. But I do think you're right sure. that we kind of, a lot, lot of our growth was identifying the most effective marketing channel at the time. Something else you didn't touch on was just with everyone going remote and everything else, email kind of became the sole way. We're not calling people cell phones or anything. So how do you get in front of people? You can't call them. You can't, you know, we never really did direct mailing, but you can't direct mail them. So people are paying more attention to email and everything else. And you know, strong product category identified the best, I guess, methodology to market. And we also had very specific content I thought that was good as well. We knew lead times were critical. So we built content around lead times. And we knew, we adapted, I think, faster than maybe some- Proof of life videos too. Yeah. That mm -hmm. kind of addressed, you know, the concerns. And I think that if we got into that situation again, I think that's the most important thing I do is step back if we find ourselves in a really high demand area and look at what's the most effective way to communicate what people need to hear, what channel, and just go super deep on that channel. And yep. be really crystal clear with our lead times, pricing, and marketing materials. We, we only really started doing product PDFs, product info sheets that had clear summaries. Stuff like that was all really good as well that we've never really done that much in the past. Remember Fabian? Yeah. Fabian, shout out Fabian. Guy cold calling. <laughs> shout out to Fabian. I'm on the beach having a, having a beer and these two Puerto Rican bros rock up. Past. They're like yeah. 18 years old. They're like tattooed, hanging out. Nothing against tattoos, but just, I don't know. There was just uh there were just these two dudes that rolled through and sat down with me. We had a drink together and I was like, Hey, do you guys want to make some cash? And they're like, yeah. Uh, well, can you, you know, you speak good English. Can you cold yeah, call for us? So we literally we set up a little, headset. <laughs> <laughs> we had the guy with the headset in the, on the terrace doing the cold calls with us, just, you know, outbounding. And that was kind of when we started getting into cold calls too. That was another whole kind of, lead gen strategy that, you know, we've been, you know, experimenting with over the years with, you know, relative success, but that was, that was a wild experience doing the cold calling. 
Um, I forgot about Puerto Rico too. Man, we really, and like knowing what we know now with like how much training we try and give people and support. I mean, he got like one paragraph (laughs) script and just like a list of schools. And he got through, we got a few deals off that, believe it or not. He made some money. If he did. I don't think, I don't think his buddy ever did it, but I haven't thought about that in a minute. It's, it is enjoyable to recollect like this because you do forget sometimes how far we've come and kind of how much we've learned over the past few years as well. Yeah, it was a, it was a journey. And then, you know, towards the tail end of the can the pandemic uh, of uh, 2020, you know, we wrapped up, ended up going back to Italy for a few months to work from there yeah. and then signed a lease in Miami beach and moved to Miami in 2021. Which was a vibe. First time I ever signed itself. a lease for a year in my life. Only time Miami, I ever signed a lease. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, um, this was a great episode. I'm glad that we had a little deep dive into Puerto Rico, face masks, the experience of building our business during the pandemic, and you know, obviously being very blessed that our business was on the you know the upside of, of COVID. You know, we know a lot of entrepreneurs and businesses got devastated, and you know, there's really not much to say there other than that is just yeah. a tragedy, and Terrible. we know the we know the pains of what it's like to have businesses go south because yeah I've, I've had two other failed startups in the past so I, I know i know what it's like but um no i think this is a good episode hopefully you guys liked it please like and subscribe like and subscribe follow us on social you know i'm still getting used to the shout outs of what you do at the end of the youtube video but that's i think the main metric is like and subscribe leave a comment as well leave a comment um but thanks for watching guys Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Let us know if you're heading out to Puerto Rico. We'll give you some recommendations. Until next time, over and out.